Romans chapter number 7. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 7. And I want to let the Word of God do some of its own preaching tonight. I hope that's okay. I think sometimes we uh, say things where enough's been said. Amen. But uh, tonight I just want us to uh, examine a few quick thoughts. And let's begin in verse number 7. Paul writing says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Is your brain tied in a knot yet? Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now notice verse 21, this clarifies it. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Almost at the point of exhaustion, it seems, Paul cries out and says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask You to bless Your Word, Lord. I I agree with Paul here and with the Holy Spirit when I say, Lord, that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Father, I just ask that You'd help me to hide behind Your cross, Lord. Help me to not put any confidence in the arm of flesh, for it always fails me and always fails all of us. Help me, Father, to be submitted only to Your Holy Spirit tonight. Help me to say that which would be pleasing to You, Father, help me not to refrain from the things that ought to be said. Help me not to say things that ought not to be said. But, Lord, help me just to give you glory tonight. I love you, Lord. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's no doubt that we've just read one of the most mind-boggling portions of Scripture. In fact, you might say that as we read it, it seems almost like a man having an argument with himself. And I would say very plainly that what we're reading is a man 
having an argument with himself. You see, Paul is speaking about the struggle that we face once we're born again, washed in the blood of Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and have had the spiritual man awakened within us. Now you say, preacher, what is the spiritual man? The spiritual, is, uh, the spiritual man is that part of a man that can communicate with God. It's that part of the man that responds to the Holy Spirit. It's that part of the man that hears the Word of God and applies the Word of God and is aware of the relationship we have with God. The Bible says that our spirit bears witness with His Spirit. So, in other words, the spiritual man is that part of us that serves God, loves God, walks with God, and seeks to please Him. Paul, in writing, uh, clarifies something that was probably very cloudy in the minds of many Christians. You see, we have a tendency to think of the Old Testament as bad and the New Testament as good. And we tend to think of the law as bad and of grace as good. Well, now, I would say this. I would say the law is good, but grace is better. And the Bible's very clear that Christ didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law, and that a new and better way is the way of grace. But as Paul writes these things, he makes this very simple statement that the law is good. The law is spiritual. The law is holy. Now, keep in mind, Paul is not exhorting us to keep the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, but what he's merely saying is this. The problem was not God's standard. The problem was man's sin. The problem with the Old Testament law was not that it was unrighteous, but that we are unrighteous. He says, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And Paul basically denotes how that before he was made aware of the law, before the law was a reality in his life, that he lived as though sin was not a part of his life. But when the law entered his life and his realm of awareness, he became aware that he had offended God, that he had sinned, and all of a sudden now death reigns in his life and heart. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time tonight talking about transition from law to grace, but what I want us to focus on is that Paul places very clearly before us that there is a struggle that takes place in the life of a born-again believer. Let me say this, if somebody told you that being acting like a Christian was easy, they lied to you. And if someone told you that you're never going to be tempted, they lied to you. And if someone told you that it's never going to be an uphill battle, they lied to you. They might have told you it would be a bed of roses, but even roses, a neighbor, have got thorns. There's difficulty and trial and struggle in life, not only because of the circumstances that we're put in, but because of the old man that lives within us. Paul essentially says this. He says, I have a desire to serve God, but it just seems like I can never get it together. Have you ever felt like that before? I mean, have you ever felt like you wanted to serve God, you wanted to love Him, you wanted to live for Him, you wanted to do what needed to be done to please Him, but you just couldn't get it together? Almost like you're stuck in a rut, almost like there were certain sins in your life that you just couldn't overcome, that you couldn't tackle, that you couldn't battle. And Paul says, I have a desire, what I would, in other words, what I would want to do, that do I not. But then he turns around and shows the flip side of it and says, but now there's some things I don't want to do. He says, those are the very things I find myself doing. The very things. So he says, I find then in verse number 21, a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul says, I have a desire to serve God. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, 
which is in my members. I want to preach for a little while on that law tonight. And I've titled this message, maybe it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I, I, I want to preach to you tonight on the dead old man that lives within all of us. Turn with me to chapter number 6 of the book of Romans, chapter number 6. The book of Colossians designates uh, the natural man as the old man. And certainly for you and I, brethren, if we've been born again, he is the old man. He is the old, he is the old way. He is the old sin. He is the old nature. The Bible teaches explicitly that you and I, you see, we don't earn sin. We are sinners. There's nothing that we do or have done or will do that will cause us to be sinners. We are born sinners. Now, certainly all of us have practiced sin in our lives, and I don't know a single person uh, that hasn't. It's like the old, uh, the old Pentecostal preacher said, I haven't sinned in 25 years. And somebody said, let me ask your wife about that. Amen. But the reality is that all of us struggle with sin. I've never met a person that didn't. The only person ever that uh, lived their life and never sinned, of course, was our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're born with the old man, the old nature, the sin nature. I was just reading, in fact, a study the other day about uh, some things that babies do automatically. And they were talking about some things that, uh, that infants learn to do from a, from a young age. And they learn how to be deceptive. Now, I'm not one of these that thinks babies are lying when they cry and, uh, and you can't figure out what's wrong with them. Amen. That don't mean they're lying. But uh, certainly children at a young age, they do. They learn to be deceptive. They learn how to get out of trouble. They learn how to say things and spin things. And it seems they only get better at it as they grow up to be adults. But this article, which was a secular article, made an interesting statement. And I don't think they knew what they were saying, but I knew what they were saying. They said, we do not have to teach children to do wrong. We have to teach them to do right. Now, isn't it interesting that we, uh, most of your little ones, probably one of the first words that they learned was no. You know where that came from? From you saying, no, 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 no. Because they were getting into problems. They were getting into trouble. They were disobeying you. We're all born natural sinners, every one of us. We don't have to work at it. We're experts the second we come out of the womb. We're born sinners. And the psalmist said that in sin did my mother conceive me. No man attains or gains a sin nature, but he is born with a sin nature. And the problem with mankind is a sin problem. The Bible teaches that we have been quickened together with Jesus Christ. When we're born again, we're made alive. And the Bible teaches that this takes place through the old man being crucified and the new man being resurrected. Look with me in Romans chapter 6 and I'll show you what I mean. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Now, most of us are familiar with that. When we have baptized, we had one Sunday morning, we say, uh, we're buried with Christ in baptism. We're burying, burying uh, with Christ, uh, in Christ with baptism. Of course, the baptism does not do that, but that is something that takes place spiritually when a person accepts Christ. They are crucified with Him. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our, here we find that phrase, that our old man is crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead 
is freed from sin. You say, preacher, why is that? Because it's the natural man, the old man that's been crucified that responded to sin. The inward man does not respond to sin except in as much as it grieves him. The inward man does not participate or practice in sin. It's the old man, it's the natural man that does this. Verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Christ isn't scared of death. And you and I, brethren, if we've been born again, death should hold no fear for us. I know many times it holds anxieties for us, but no true fear. We know that we have the victory through Jesus Christ. For in that he died, verse 10, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Notice verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me say that the first thing we need to do, and you, let me just put it as simply as I can. You say, preacher, I have a struggle, and we all have a struggle living for Christ. And I believe the majority of us probably live with a lot of frustration over the matter. I know that it's a frustration to me. And maybe you're not frustrated by the battle that goes on with the old man and the natural man and the sin nature, but I am. It's a frustration and a discouragement sometimes to this preacher I think the biggest problem in the morning, when I roll out of bed and I look in the mirror, uh, I'm looking at the biggest problem with Toby Weber. I, I can blame it on everyone else around me, but at the end of the day, I am my own worst enemy. I am my biggest problem. It's the natural man that's causing the biggest problems in my life. And you say, preacher, how do we overcome that? How do we deal with that? How do we combat that? Let me say very clearly, I do not believe in the eradication of the flesh on this side of the grave or the rapture. I do not believe there's ever going to be anything you can do that will completely eradicate the temptation of sin from your life. I don't think there's ever anything you're going to do that will eradicate entirely the old man in the flesh. I think that's something Christ will do at His coming, or that's something that the grave will take care of. When we die, no longer will we have to face this. But you might say, preacher, how can I combat it? I want to give you three thoughts tonight, very quickly. And we find the first word given in our verse here, verse number 11, when Paul says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me say first off, we ought to reckon the old man dead. Preacher, what does reckon mean? We use that a lot here in the South. Hey, boy, Larry gave you up the road, Cliff. I don't know what you've done to upset him, but he gave you up the road. But, but it's true, here in the South, we use that word a lot. We'll say, well, I reckon this and I reckon that. We've talked about it before. What reckon means is to mathematically calculate, to calculate something. A reckoning, an account is given. And Paul uses this word, the Holy Spirit uses the word reckon, and what he's essentially saying is this, you ought to figure it up and count it up and learn and understand that the old man is dead. Have you ever wondered why the Bible says, if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed? A lost man does not have the capacity to do right. He may do morally, but he cannot do spiritually. He may do things that society perceives to be acceptable and even admirable, but he can never avoid the fact that he's doing them out of some sort of selfish motive. Only the believer, only the born-again Christian can ever truly serve God and please God in a spiritual way. It takes the new man, it takes the resurrected man to do that. And so Christ, speaking about this truth, said that if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. Do you know, Ralph, I have the choice whether I want to serve God or serve myself. I have the choice. Nobody can make me. You can't make me, and I can't make you. 
I mean, uh, try as they may. And you can go along uh, religious regimes that have taken over societies. You could go over right now to most Middle Eastern countries where Islam is being enforced in a military fashion. At the end of the day, you can never force a person to love God at the end of a knife or a sword or a gun barrel or a tank barrel. You can never force a man to do that. It's a choice we make. And the lost man has no capacity to make that choice. He knows only how to do wrong. But the believer has been made free in deeds. We have a choice in the matter. I can decide if I want to serve God or not. God's not going to force me to. I have a decision to make in the matter. And so the attitude I should take is I should look at it and count the cost and say, you know, the old man has been crucified. The old man is dead. And now I am freed from sin and I have the ability to serve God. We reckon him dead. Let me give you three ways we ought to do that. I believe we ought to reckon him dead in our past. Boy, it's a blessed thought. Do you know that your sins were buried at Calvary? Do you know that when Christ died for your sins and paid for your sins, they were buried never to be brought up again? And do you know that the old man in his dominion over you was crucified at Calvary? Never again can it be brought up to your account. Now you say, preacher, what about the judgment seat of Christ? Sure, you're going to be judged as a servant, but you'll never be judged as a sinner. Your sins have been washed away. You've been bought with a price. And the old man and his dominion and power over you, the power was taken away from him at Calvary. The only power he has in our lives is that which we give him. Do you know that many times we're haunted by the sins that we've committed? I think that's probably true, don't you? Let me ask you something. I, I, you know, you don't have to raise your hand to this, but I wonder how many of us have done things that we regret. Done things that have stuck with us and hung with us over the years. Done some things that we buried away in our past and we wish for no one to know about. Probably many of us have. I'd say probably if you knew the history of the average Baptist church member, it'd terrify you to death. Amen. But the fact is, we've all done things, I'm sure. Can I make you a promise that we can reckon our past dead through Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter what you've done. And you may say, oh, but preacher, I'm already saved. Yeah, you're already saved, and it's been washed under the blood. And maybe you're dealing with some things that are discouraging you from serving God. Can I tell you that those things are under the blood? There's nothing that should stop you from serving God and living for Jesus Christ. You ought to reckon the old man to be dead in your past. Let me give you a second thing. I believe, and you probably guessed what the next thought is. Look at verse number 11 once again. uh, What he says, Likewise reckon ye, present tense. We ought to reckon the old man dead in our present. We reckon him dead in our past. But we ought to consider the fact that we don't have to live under sin even now. You know, I think sometimes we make excuses. In fact, I know we do. I guess a preacher sometimes preaches himself guilty because we preach a lot of our own experience. But I think sometimes we do this. We say, well, you know, I'm just a frail sinner. Yeah, I know you are, and I know I am. But we say, well, you know, I try so hard, but, you know, it's just tough sometimes. And we make excuses. We're not worried about whether God will buy them as long as we'll buy them. That's all that matters, and maybe our church family. And we say, well, you know, I try sometimes, but it's, it's so difficult to serve Jesus Christ. Let me just kick the legs out from under your excuse and saying, do you know that you have the choice in whether you do right or wrong? You don't have to do right. Nobody can make you do right, but nobody can make you do wrong either. We're going to live this thing on our own two feet, whether we like it or not. We're going to stand accountable to Jesus Christ for our own actions. No matter how many excuses we can feather around other people, we're going to answer for them. And we ought to come with the attitude of saying, Lord, you've not asked anything of me that I can't accomplish by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God. God expects us to be faithful. We can do that. 
God expects us to be consecrated. We can do that. God expects us to be passionate. We can do that. God expects us to be vocal in our love for Jesus Christ. We can do that. He's not asked us to do anything we can't do. The problem is we don't reckon the old man to be dead in our present. You see, we already go ahead and give him the victory and give him the power in that we go into it with the mindset of saying, well, you know, I'm probably going to fail. Well, yeah, you go into it with that mindset, you probably are going to fail. You're probably not going to live for Jesus Christ if you go into it with the mindset of saying, well, I know my flesh is going to get the better of me. The truth of the matter is He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and there's nothing that He's asked of us that we can't accomplish by His Spirit and by His grace. I think we ought to reckon it uh, to be dead in the past and the present, but let's say we ought to reckon it to be dead perpetually. Look at verse number 12. Let not sin therefore reign, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I was a youth pastor for five years, and one of the things that plagues our young people is the feeling of one day, one day. One of the things that plagues the older generation is of saying one day, but of looking at it backwards. They look at it and say, there was one day when I could have done that, would have done that, should have done that, but no more. But young people seem to have the temptation to say, one day I will serve Jesus Christ. Why not today? Why not today? Why not in the immediate? What is it the devil has to offer you that's better than what Christ has to offer you? Not a thing. The truth of the matter is, a lot of us live with this mindset. We're never going to get it together. We're never going to get it together. This is the struggle that I'm going to face. Hey, some of us have been struggling with the same sins for years and years and years and years. Why can't we learn to mortify those things like the book of Colossians tells us to? You know what it means to mortify something? It means to kill it. To kill it. To settle it. To put it down for it to be over and done with. And the book of Colossians says we are to mortify the deeds of the body. Why is it that we struggle with it over and over and over and over again? Let me give you this. Why was it that the children of Israel wandered for 40 years? The book of Hebrews says it was because of unbelief. They couldn't sit down and count the cost and realize that God was willing to take them through. And many of us have struggled with the same sins for years and years and years and years and years because we never get to the point where we realize that God's willing to help us if we'll only come to Him for the help that we need. We've got to reckon the old man to be dead. But let me give you a second thing. I've got to hurry. Turn with me to chapter number 8, Romans chapter number 8. I'm just going to give these to you in a hurry. If you believed that lie a few minutes ago, you probably just believed it just then. Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It says it there in verse uh, number 13, we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. I believe we ought to reckon the old man dead, but I believe we ought to render him dead. Do you know there's something you can do to keep the natural man from having uh, the dominion in your life? There's something you can do to keep 
yourself from falling prey over and over and over and over again to the same old sins. Now keep in mind, I'm not talking about sinless sanctification or perfection, but I'm merely talking about having victory in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the Bible says that we are to mortify these deeds. We very often pray and say, Oh, Lord, just crucify this in our life. But God commands us to mortify these deeds. There's a certain amount of responsibility that's on your shoulder and my shoulder. And don't try to spiritualize this either. I mean, He's commanding us to do this, to mortify these deeds. I believe there's three ways. It's interesting that the Spirit of God is the central figure in this ensemble of verses that we're to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to give you three things. You really want to get victory in your life, first thing you're going to have to do is learn how to yield to the Holy Ghost. We think this whole business is about us doing something when it's really about us taking our hands off the wheel and letting the Holy Ghost do everything. We think it's about us having some stalwart and stern steadfastness and form of righteousness. But you know that the Holy Ghost will lead us if we'll only let Him. Most of us have grieved Him so harshly in our life that we have mountains of things to get forgiveness for before He ever even has liberty to deal in our lives like He wants to. The fact is, every time you sin, every time something gets in the way of you and Jesus Christ, that becomes an obstacle in your life and it has to be dealt with and it has to be uh, uh, forgiven and it has to be brought before the throne of God. And if it's not, it's going to stay there. Sin lieth at the door. We've got to come to the place where we're willing to deal with the sin in our lives. If we don't, we're just playing games. We're never going to get serious about it. But the way that this takes place is we allow the Holy Spirit of God to show us what is sin in our lives, and then we yield ourselves to His leading. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, not as many as drive the Spirit of God or push the Spirit of God, but as many as are led by the Spirit of God. It comes through yielding. If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, He'll tell you what to do. Uh, the truth is, most of us don't like that, though, because we don't like to listen to the Holy Ghost. Is that okay to say? I, I think it's accurate. I, I think it's true. I think everybody loves to have control. And if He's controlling us, we're not controlling us. We don't like to yield to Him. He tells us that something in our life is sin, and we begin to argue with Him and rationalize why it's not sin. He tells us something in our life that we need to do, and we begin to argue with Him and tell Him how it needs to be done in a different way. We don't want to give up the control of our life. We don't want Him sitting on the throne. We want to stay on the throne of our hearts and of our lives. But the Bible teaches we've got to learn to yield. We've got to learn to step back. It's been amazing in my life, everything God has done as I have increasingly yielded to Him. There's times, there's days, there's moments when I don't. I'm not trying to paint myself on a pedestal, but I'm merely saying it's amazing how much God will do if we'll quit trying to do it. We've got to yield. Let me give you a second thing, yearning for the Holy Ghost. And you say, preacher, I thought we already had the Holy Ghost. We do have the Holy Ghost. You say, preacher, I thought all we had to do was yield to the Holy Ghost. We do. That's all we have to do. But until we desire it, we won't do it. Until we come to the place that we recognize that that's what we need in our life, we're never going to do it. I tell you the problem with most of us, most of us, Ralph, we don't realize how important the Lord is. We just don't. It's a take it or leave it type thing. And we don't realize how vital it is that the Lord have control over our lives. That's the way the devil works. The devil operates by deception. He always has. The devil operates by painting a picture that we're good enough and we can handle it and we can do it on our own. Look at the Garden of Eden. What was the great lie and deception that Satan gave to Eve? He said, yea, hath God said. He cast doubt upon the Word of God. And then he said, God doth surely know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
You know what the devil was saying? The devil was saying, why are you letting God run your life? Why are you letting God run your life? If you'd eat of this fruit, your eyes would be open and you would be as God is, knowing good and evil. You know what that means? It's not saying that you would be able to discern good and evil. It's saying you'd be able to, to decide good and evil. What he's saying is, you really want to run your life, you go my way. But you show me one life the devil has got a hold of that they had dominion over. It's always him that has the dominion. He's a thief and a robber and a murderer. And it's always him that takes the dominion. You will not run your life. It's either going to be God or it's going to be Satan. One of the two. That's the choice we have to come to. That's the place we have to get to where we realize that it really isn't in our hands. It's really in his. We've got to yearn for it. We've got to desire it. Most people uh, don't want the Holy Ghost any more than they want a second order French fries at the McDonald's. Most people, it's take it or leave it. Most people, if the Holy Ghost shows up in service and moves and works, that's great. But if He doesn't, that's fine. We'll just go on. It won't bother us one bit. And most people in their daily lives, they're not depending upon the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they wouldn't listen to Him even when He did speak. We've got to get to a place of yearning. We've got to get to a place of unity with the Holy, Holy Spirit place where when he speaks, we listen. When he speaks, we listen. What do you think Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Ralph, what he's saying is, the old man is crucified with Christ. Saul of Tarsus is crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He says, but I am functioning. I am living in my daily walk. I've got to make decisions. I've got to live. I've got to think. I've got to breathe. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, Jesus Christ has not taken residence in our bodies, but the Holy Ghost has taken residence in our lives and our souls. Uh, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, you say, oh, but He's omnipresent. Yeah, just that. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I'm aware of that. But He's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's the Holy Ghost that has taken up residence in our life. Christ said that He'll be with you and He'll be in you forever. So He's the presence of God in our life. And if we'll get in step with Him and obey Him instead of arguing with Him, it'll ration, uh, radically change and revolutionize our lives. I believe we ought to uh, reckon Him dead. I believe we ought to render Him dead. Let me give you a final thing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not even going to preach this one. I'm just going to say it. Amen. Some of y'all said, Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off, I want you to underscore that phrase, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I believe we ought to reckon him dead. We ought to recognize that he is dead. I believe we ought to render him dead by yielding to the Holy Spirit of God and not living and walking after the flesh. But I, I believe we ought to refuse him as he is dead. You say, what do you mean? I mean perpetually and prospectively in the future. I mean we ought to live our lives in mind understanding that the new man is who ought to be reigning. The Holy Spirit reigning through the new man and not the old man. 
Paul used this phrase. I've always been greatly interested in it. He said, give none occasion to the flesh. Do you believe that we're new creatures in Christ Jesus? I believe that. The book of, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, might be 2 Corinthians, says that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so what Paul is saying when he writes that is he's saying everything's different now. And it's different from here on out. You know, we ought to look different, act different, be different than the world. I don't know why it is that we've come to a place that worldliness is the status quo. I mean, I guess it's always to a degree been like that, Ralph. But I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about the most offensive thing you can ask a young person to be nowadays is different. And tell them, you know, you're not supposed to live like other people. And even young adults and, and middle-aged adults, and, and dare I even say maybe old adults, it seems as though we're uncomfortable with uniqueness and with being different. Well, I guess that's normal. But understand that if you're going to live like the world, you're going to be worldly. You're going to displease God. Now, if that doesn't matter to you, I can't help you. But if it bothers you to bother God, I can help you tonight. We live in a day where most Christians aren't bothered that God is bothered. Most Christians don't care that God cares. Most Christians are not offended that God's offended. And a person like that you can't do a thing for. Old Oliver B. Green, he used to, when he was going to witness to somebody, he'd ask him, he'd take that, that King James Bible. Oliver Green always used a King James Bible. And he would say, do you believe this is the word and words of God? And if that man said no, he'd turn around and walk away. He said, there's nothing I can do to help you. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. A lot of wisdom. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And let me tell you something tonight, Christian. If it doesn't bother you that God's bothered, there's nothing I or anybody else can do for you. God can't do a thing for you until you're bothered that God's bothered. Until, I mean, worldliness, hey, it don't bother the flesh. Worldliness don't, Ralph. The flesh loves worldliness. I mean, uh, you know, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, worldliness and the flesh go hand in hand. And so worldliness ain't going to bother the flesh. But until it bothers the spiritual man, there's nothing anybody can do. You can argue with people. You can try to superimpose and rubber stamp your standards and convictions on the life of another person, and it won't do a bit of good. It'll just turn them into whited sepulchers. Until we get to the place that sin grieves us, we're going to continue to put on the old man and put off the new man. But until we come to the place that we recognize, you know, I'm different, I better start living like it, acting like it. I better start living my life like I'm born again. That's when we put off the old man. Put on the new man. When we get to that place, we start to see victory in our life. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about never stumbling or, or, or falling. We're all going to fail in our lives at times. I'm talking about just getting to the place where it bothers us if God's not pleased with us. Till you get there, nobody's ever going to do a thing for you. You may play church. You may play religion. You may be a really, really top-notch hypocrite. But until you get to the place that it bothers you when sin, when God's bothered, until you get to the place where you're broken over your sin, you won't be broken from your sin. You've got to get to the place where it matters to you. Until you get there, nobody can do a thing. You say, I'll pray for them. Well, you might pray that they get broken over their sin, but until they get broken over their sin, they won't get broke from it. Until a person gets grieved about it, he won't do anything about it. That's just human nature. It's how we are. I, I, was, I was laughing, and I promise I'm done. I, I was laughing. You know one of the great things about pastoring a church on Wall Ridge Road? We are covered. I mean surrounded. 
by old people. You know that? You may not know the people up and down these roads. You may know them, Brother Ralph. I don't know. But we got old people everywhere. I mean, they're all over the place. That's, that's like almost all that lives in this neighborhood is old people. And I was laughing. I went to deliver a senior saint's place. And most of you know uh, Brother Bob Jones. He used to come here when he was able, and we were delivering a, a plate, and his granddaughter came to the door. And, you know, I always get worried when I'm delivering those plates and when a family member comes to the door. I always worry something's happened. I said, oh, is Brother Bob okay? Now, they had the road tore up. And she said, oh, he's on the phone with the city trying to find out when they're going to get this road fixed. Bob don't drive, Ralph. Why does Bob care whether they fix the road or not? Why does he care? But let me tell you something, that road got fixed. You know why? When you get bothered about something, you'll do something about it. Bob started calling him. Bob started trying, and I guarantee you, I'd say that, that the, the, I don't guess they got switchboards, but if, if they do, they's lit up from Wall Ridge Road, from people calling, trying to get this road fixed. There's probably three people live on this road that actually drive, but it don't matter. They's calling. And you know what? They started bothering them. When they started bothering them, something got done about it. When sin starts bothering you, you'll do something about it. When it starts bothering when you know why David's heart was so much like God's heart, a man after God's own heart? Sin bothered him. You know why God used Elijah in such a mighty way? Sin bothered him. And our problem today in Christianity is sin just don't bother us. We're so immersed in it. It's everywhere, and we've let it into so many areas of our life. It doesn't bother us. Until you get bothered by it, you won't do anything about it. You say, preacher, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you where it begins. It begins by reckoning him dead and getting the sin out of your own life. Then it goes to rendering him dead by yielding to the Holy Spirit of God in your daily walk. And then it's refusing him as dead as you live your life as a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's some of us ain't lived but two or three days as a new creature before we started taking on our old habits. I think it's time we start over again, don't you? I'm not talking about getting born again again. You can't be born again again. I'm not talking about getting resaved. We don't need to be resaved. I'm talking about being rededicated to Jesus Christ and living our lives for His glory and honor.